welcome to the Naughty Child Podcast with me, Richard. And me, Polly. I'm the dad. And I'm the daughter. I did everything before I leave. I need to find that bag on my coins. Alex Hartley took us off air in Brighton earlier this year. I'm a huge fan of Pepper. We thought we were really funny. Bobby, I'm doing a <laughs> podcast, man. Come on. <laughs> well, my dog is now called Jimmy Anderson. Oh, well, Manchester Originals aren't through to the Eliminators, so I've got to change that to eat. Yeah. Do you cook French food? Like, do you cook frog legs and snails? Oh, <laughs> uh, just lock myself in a procedure room. That's Sophie Eccleston's the worst. It's like having a child with you and she's on top. I don't know whether it shows something about me or whether it just shows I'm a little bit stupid. So, Polly, you are in Manchester. What's going on? Yeah, it's a bit weird having our first kind of pod. I mean, we have done a handful of podcasts when we're in different cities, countries, even. Um, we did Paris once. We did do Paris. I'm trying to remember. Oh, we did Dubai in England, so that was probably the oh, farthest. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah, it is a little bit strange getting used to it. Of course, we we've done an interview already um, over Zoom, so that's coming up later. But yeah, it's a little bit different, I think. It is. It is. And how's it all going? I need to know, Polly. Are you having a good time at university? I am having a good time. It's one of those that it's it's really weird because as much as you prepare and have expectations, it's been kind of different to my expectations. Like in many ways, it's met it because I kind of I know people at university or whatever. So I kind of. Yeah, I, I know how it works, but I think when you actually do it for yourself, it's a little bit different. Um and I don't know, I think the first week is is very strange as well, because you're meeting people, you're having the same conversation over and over again, um, constantly being told, you don't sound like you're from Birmingham. I'm like, yeah, I know, like, I get that now. Um, or people saying, oh, do you know this person? They're from Birmingham. I was like, Birmingham's the second biggest city, which then takes people by surprise that it's the second biggest city. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't know, I don't know, James from North Birmingham like I, mean, I, I don't even know that many people in Birmingham so they're just trying to make conversation because you've got to go well, with it yeah I mean the main thing is I've noticed a lot of people have quite bad geography um mm. so like not even places that are hard to know where they are just like no one knows where Nottingham is like what I, I don't understand that um or even they've never been to Trembridge Newcastle like is that in Scotland I'm like no (laughs) it's um it's interesting I think you're Um, educating people as you go for education (laughs) that's really really impressive since we last uh did pod there have been five games in the RHF trophy uh four of which were all last Saturday and it was that exciting first v second third v fourth Fifth v sixth, seventh v eighth, less exciting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it quite went how I expected. Um, Mm -hmm. I imagined that the most exciting game was going to be Sparks against Stars. For me, I was like, that's the big one because it was kind of all or nothing um, in terms of like one of the teams was going to qualify and one wasn't. Um, So it... I don't know, that felt like the most important game. And I was expecting that to be a massive thriller. But then Stars had just an incredible day out. Um, and obviously, like, Thrash Sparks, which I don't know. is I feel really weird about the Southeast Stars. Like, we'll go on to the game today. But 
it's strange because they've had such an up and down season. They've had some mass, like huge wins and then huge losses. Whereas I think the Sparks have been slightly more consistent. Like they've mm-hmm. they've lost quite a few, but they've also won quite a few. But I think they've been really relatively consistent in the way they've played. Um, so I don't know. It's been kind of weird. And I, f- I felt a bit bad for Sparks actually because they were so close and that game was always going to be the one where like it was great for one team and huge disappointment for the other because actually they were so close. Yeah, it, it is a shame. And, you know, they posted 283 and I don't know if that's ever been chased down in the RHF trophy. It's, it's a bit of a monster score really, isn't it? So I think that immediately puts the pressure on Sparks from the get-go. And I think quite often you see when teams are set really big totals like that, they actually crumble because they the pressure is on, isn't it, to to score rapidly from the start and and then you're more likely to make mistakes. I mean, some great performances. Bryony Smith uh, for Stars 97 from 81 balls. I mean, it's just absolutely fantastic, isn't it? You know, really, really well, well done. And you consider, uh, you know, Alice Capsi wasn't playing in that game um, as well. I feel for Sparks, just like you do as well, and I think because... They played Blaze uh, a couple of weeks ago. And actually, had they won that game, that would have put them in the position almost certainly of qualifying, I think. And I, I think they had a really good chance to win that game. But Blaze played Nats of a Brunt. And she was actually the difference. Uh, so when Sparks had them in trouble, she was the one that that played the innings that won the game uh, for Blaze. And uh, so I... Well, it wasn't exactly unfair, but she was she was being rested by England from the T20 series at the time. So I decided to have a rest by playing a 50-over game against um, Sparks. And, and I don't quite get what is the rule for which England players play for their regions, because um, it seems quite at random as to whether they play or don't play and I don't quite know who's deciding that or or what yeah it, it does seem a little bit random and I guess it hasn't got the I don't I think about something like the WBBL where there are like strict rules on marquee players and stuff like that and obviously like the England players come into becoming marquee players but I don't know even with the 100 I don't know if obviously I know the England players need to be spread around but I don't know if there are like limits on it because surely they can't actually be spread out evenly as such um so yeah the whole thing of them having that silver brunt it does seem to make it a bit uneven but then we go on to the eliminator and southeast stars produce a team including adr and alice capsey and the blaze do not have natsa brunt or tammy beaumont they had lizelle lee but i mean she got run out very early on so it didn't really make a difference um and obviously that game was a bit strange anyway with the weather but the Southeast Stars were bowled out for not very much. It was like 178 or something um, when they did have some of their star players. So I don't actually know. I think obviously for some games it does make a difference. And, you know, I did feel for Sparks actually because they probably wouldn't have expected Natsura Brunt to be playing in that game, given that she was, you know, resting from England. So, um, yeah, it's, it's weird how these games can make like these one individual games can actually make such a difference in deciding who goes through to 
um, the Eliminator and then the final. But I think for me, I was quite shocked actually by Viper's Blaze because obviously we know Vipers can kind of just pull a win out of anywhere and that sort of thing. But in my head, Blaze were just miles ahead in the table. And I was like, oh, they'll just continue, you know, it'll be fine, they'll go straight through to the final. But actually their loss of momentum, I suppose ever since the 100 finished, um, it kind of cost them that first place. And it's fine now because they're in the final. But at the same time, it's... I think it, the final could be difficult for them because they didn't even get a full game in today, so they haven't had that time to get back into the swing of it. And they don't have any momentum for, well, I guess the last month, really. Yes, and, you know, will Natsuva Brunt and Tammy Beaumont be back for the final? Who who knows who's making that decision? And, um, you know, I think, as you said, for the Eliminators today, it seemed grossly unfair that Capsi and ADR were allowed to play for Zabby Stars and uh, Tammy and Nat couldn't play for Blaze or chose not to play for Blaze or, or however it works. And um, that seemed to be a big, you know, I, I anticipated that Southeast Stars would would win as a result of that. And Blaze did really, really well to include, they bowled very well and restricted them to 148 and, and then, you know, knocked it off and they'd you know, reduced over his game. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes uh, in the final. But yes, going back to that um, Vipers against uh, Blaze game, I mean Vipers just know how to win, don't they? And and that's that's the thing all the time. So you know Maya Boucher, George Adams, George always play really well in that that game as well. Emily Windsor, you know they're all getting big scores and. Um, you know, piling on. So again, two that on that it's very unlikely that you're going to overturn that, and it puts the the pressure on on Blaze. I think they knew that if they they would prevent um, Vipers getting the bonus point, and therefore um, would have finished top. But they got nowhere near it, did they? Um, so it, it was a really really interesting. Uh, contest and of course that is the game that is going to be played this Sunday in Northampton. Um, you'd expect Vipers to be favourites. They have the experience. Uh, of course, it's the same final as occurred in the Charlotte Edwards Cup, and Vipers won it easily. So we'll see. We'll see. But I don't be surprised if you see the Vipers lift another trophy this Sunday. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd imagine that is probably going to happen. But saying that, I mean, I think the Blaze are really interesting because, of course, they have the star players of Natsu Brunt and Tammy Beaumont. But when those players aren't there, they actually have some really, really strong domestic players. So in, if you look at the batting lineup, you've got Catherine Bryce and Sarah Bryce, particularly Sarah Bryce actually is really impressed me and the, I mean the game today was amazing hit six to win the game um, but then they've also got the likes of Marie Kelly and then you look at the bowling and it's really strong in both spin and seam because Grace Ballinger is excellent um, you've got Kirsty Gordon who uh, she's just very consistent uh, Lucy Hyam who's been on the circuit for a while and again is, is pretty consistent and then Josie Groves 
coming through who's had a great season um and you know I'd imagine will only get better so I think they're a really interesting side in that they're quite different I think from the lightning I mean they've got some similar players from the lightning side but these players are a little bit older now and have more experience and aren't kind of the the very young side that lightning used to be so I don't know what's been built at Blazers seems to be very successful um, and of course, you mentioned Charlotte Edwards Cup. They're probably looking for maybe not revenge, but you know they'll want they'll want some silverware because actually, on the whole, I guess other than the last few weeks, the Blaze have had a fantastic season. The way they started with that unbeaten run, mm. um, like I don't think they had lost a game in a game until the Charlotte Edwards Cup final. I that's could nice. be wrong. Yeah, they, they, they've never lost so, a game. Like that's such a good run. Um, so it would feel a little bit disappointing if they didn't get any silverware out of it um but at the same time the vipers they want to win more you know one trophy is not enough for them and charlotte edwards cup will charlotte edwards cup charlotte edwards will want um three trophies this year yeah yeah i i so it it'll be a really interesting game it'll be really really good Just briefly talking about the other two games that happened uh, last saturday um sunrisers they it's like what what has gone on there? Four games on the bounce. New captain appointed. Someone called Brace Scrivens. And, I don't know if she's any good. Uh, yeah, and um, and they've won four games. Now, before then, had they won four games in their history? Is what I want to know. Yeah, I think they might have actually won four games in their history. Like I, 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 I mean, they definitely haven't won four on the bounce. Um, not even I don't even think two in a row. <laughs> it's it's crazy what's happened, and Grace Scrivens has just changed everything. Like we knew she was a good captain, and everyone spoke so highly of her at the Under Nineteen World Cup. Um, so obviously she was capable, but I suppose it, it's very different when you're captaining like an adult side compared to an Under Nineteen. Like imagine being you know ten years older than her. And being captain, like, I don't know, because she hasn't got all this experience. I mean, she has a lot of experience, but I well, don't know. It must get be a to little my bit age, weird. and all your bosses are 10 years younger than you. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, but no, it's really interesting to see what's happened, because I think we've seen a change over the season with Andy Tennant coming in, and I think there has been, like, a clear change, but those weren't necessarily reflected in results. I think to an extent, like obviously they did get a couple of wins, um, but I think for them not to finish, at least in the bottom two, um, and to finish in the top half of the table, like no one, actually, do you know what? As a Sunrisers fan, I would have said they would have, so. Um, but most people would have written them off. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very impressive. But then, yeah, you look at the Northern Diamonds and actually they haven't had a, an amazing season which is a shame given how well they did last year. So, I mean, it's, it's it's nice to see that there were different teams kind of putting their hands up and doing well. Um, but then it's really weird to see teams that have done so well kind of, I don't know, not doing so well. Yeah, and um, going on to the final game, Western Storm against Thunder, I, I'd say Western Storm have sort of picked up the Sunrisers' um, role within within uh, regional cricket, haven't they? They've come bottom. It's been a 
a disappointing season, considering that you know they've had Danny Gibson and they've had Lauren Filer get into the England team. And yet, as a region, they it seems to me that they are really struggling. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons they're struggling because they've had Danny Gibson and Lauren Filer consistently in that 11. And then suddenly, actually, they haven't been able to play a lot of games. So I think that's affected them. And then I think I mentioned this last week, but and I did at the start of the season that they lost three players and didn't recruit anyone. It was only youth players. And I, one thing I do love about Western Storm is that pretty much every player is homegrown. I think that's so cool. Um, and I think that's amazing, you know, when they play at Somerset. For a lot of people, that's, you know, their real local ground. And so I, I love things like that. But it does make it more difficult because they're not getting kind of the talent spread out as much from the other regions because there's obviously been a lot of movement, but people haven't moved to Western Storm. Um, so I think it is kind of difficult and they've got a very young team as well and some of their young players are amazing but you know inevitably it, it's more difficult for young players to be consistent across a whole season um, it's hard enough for senior players anyway so I think that's one of the reasons they've been struggling but yeah of course with Danny Gibson and Lauren Filer actually missing a few games that hasn't been helpful for them because they're used to having those players and obviously they'll adapt their plans, but when you've had for the last couple of years had those players so set in stone, I don't know, I can imagine it's quite difficult to then suddenly think, okay, we need a new all-rounder and we need a new scene bowler. Like, where do we get these players from? Um, it, it's quite a challenging thing, but they do have a great membership package. So I would, really? yeah, very good. I can't. I don't remember how much it was, but it was incredible. Forty-five pounds, I think. How much? Sorry. Forty-five. Forty-five pound. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm tempted to get it. Just you know, you go, you go once, and you've got value for money straight away. Um, I want to say about um, Western Storm as well. Um, friend of the pod, Sophia Smale, opening the batting and top scoring with fifty-six. That's really interesting because when she was on the pod, she talked to us about how her batting technique is very correct because of her granddad's influence. And it just occurs to me that in the 100 and in T20 cricket, she's coming in down the order. She's just got to whack everything. To have her opening the batting in a 50-over game, all that correctness is actually going to work in her favour. And, yeah, okay, it was from 82 balls, but... 56 that is she is not a tail ender by any means you know and and it's an interesting thought that you can have um someone moves up the batting order like that to bat in a slightly different more anchor way in the 50 over competition yeah i thought it was really interesting i was really like surprised when i saw it and i was like i did a double take because of course actually they're playing thunder where Seren Smale opens the batting for them. So I was my brain was a bit matter of that. Um, but no, she batted really, really well. And it's an interesting technique, actually, um, particularly for avoiding being bowled out cheaply. And of course, yes, if you're coming in at number nine or number 10 and you've got to get runs on the board, you are going to whack it. But if you have that batting technique and you can open the batting and you don't, you don't need to score quick runs and you've got all that time, 
it actually could work really well. So I was interested to see them testing that out in their final game. Um, and perhaps it'll be something that's worked over, like over the winter, they're working it. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, and, and not only did she top score, she had the best bowling figures as well, two for 21 from her 10 overs. Uh, but uh, amazingly, Thunder batted brilliantly, didn't they? Uh, Ellie Threlkeld getting a century and uh, and they won easily with, with about three and a half overs to spare. Yeah, it was interesting. Ellie Threlkeld said the other week when they played the Northern Diamonds, she just felt really comfortable at the crease and she was like, oh, I thought I was having a really good day then got out to a really good catch. So actually to see her get a century and, and get those runs was was really nice. Because, um, yeah, she's she's had a, a mixed season, but like it, I think it's always nice when players can finish on high um, at the end of the season. It's, it's good. Yeah. So predictions for Sunday. I think Vipers are going to win. Oh, OK, I'll go. I think Blaze are going to win. Yeah. We'll see. It just reminds me of last year, this time, when we went down to Lords and uh, we saw the England India game and then we saw the Rachel Hervé final the next day. And we did that amazing joint podcast with uh, Cricket Her Weekly out in the dark outside Lords with police sirens wailing and blue lights flashing. Yeah, that was, oh, that was very good. I think Northampton is a little bit of a step down from that, and um, hence why I will not be in attendance um, <laughs> in protest of the venue, um, also because it's not very practical to get to. Um, and I will also be about to get on a plane, so yeah. Um, but yeah, should we introduce our guest? Yes, that would be great. She is a central spark. Okay, is that how you're going to finish it? Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say something then. I thought I'll say something, then you say something. Okay, well, maybe we need to get this, yeah. you know, we need to get the chemistry back. But um, yes, yeah, so we spoke to Bethan Ellis, who obviously played for the Sparks, former Lightning, rest in peace, Lightning, um, and but came through the Warwickshire system. So it's kind of back in her home region. So enjoy our chat with Bethan. So to start, what's your cricket story and how did you first get into cricket? Um, so I first started playing just sort of in the garden with my dad and my brother. So I've got a twin brother. Um, so we started playing in the garden together and then he went down to the local club and I just went and watched to start with because it was just a boys team and then just got a bit bored on the side. So just joined in um, and I sort of carried on playing and he stopped as he got older Um but I went on to join the women's team when I was still like, I think I was about 10. And it was just like women's team. We didn't have any fixtures. It was just sort of training. Um, and then went from there. Wow. So if I get, let's give a shout out. What's the name of your club that you joined? Leamington Cricket Club. Oh, right. Oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting that um, that it was your brother that, that joined initially and you tagged along and then he dropped out and you're the person that, look at it and now you're a professional she's just yeah I think it's quite a common story actually like a lot of people that I speak to say like they got into it through their siblings or their parents or stuff like that so so there you are at play at age 10 playing for Leamington women 
<laughs> got this picture in my mind of all these middle aged <laughs> women of this ten year old girl. But um, yeah, probably a bit out of place. And <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you go from there to being a professional cricketer? What's what's the what's the pathway? Um, I think for me it was started playing in the Warwickshire pathway when I was 12 or 13 I think so I got put forward for trials for the first year of 13s and didn't get in um, so then just carried on playing club stuff for another year went back and got in in the second year so from the second year of under 13s played for Warwickshire um, went up through their pathways up to under 17s then in my the year after my last year of under 17s joined the academy there so did Warwick Academy and at this point I think there was like a few the start of like the RDC system um if you remember that it's sort of like the academies now for like central Spartans academies so did some stuff with love for RDC and the RDC here I think did that for a few years and then went to Loughborough Uni and started playing at Lightning there. So when you're in the, let's take you back to when you were sort of 12, 13, who were the other people in the Warwickshire pathway with you at that time whose names we'll know now because they also become uh, professional cricketers? Uh, in my age group, there was Georgia Davis, um, Rhea Fatcrawl, Grace Ballinger was around, but she was a bit younger than me. Um, I think that's all I can remember. I've forgotten anyone. It's bad, but um, I think that's all I can remember. That it's an interesting insight, isn't it? That because presumably there would be you know quite a, a large number of people on that pathway, and and you know two or three in that age group end up actually making it. It kind of shows what a um, tough world it is, and how good you have to be to actually get through. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, like a lot of people as they grow up. There's a lot of people start dropping out, don't they? As you get older, interested in other things. So, yeah, I guess also for so many years there was kind of never a professional pathway as such for the domestic stuff. So, if you wanted to make it pro, you had to play for England. But you mentioned going to Lightning, and what was the setup at Lightning like in those first few years? Because I suppose for all the regions, this kind of newfound semi-professionalism slash professionalism for some people um it was also new but what was it like for you going to lightning and I guess you had presumably more access to facilities and things like that than previously yeah definitely it was um it was really good actually it was like it was definitely the first time like first experience of sort of what professional sport looks like I think because it was based at a uni it's and I was still at uni it did still feel a little bit like it was uni sport, but really intense. Because um, also a lot of the people, I think in the first year, it was like pretty much 13 out of 15 of us were at the uni. Um, but yeah, the training times were so much higher, like the gym access, the access to sort of nutritionists, analysts, like outside of actually playing was probably the first time I sort of experienced that. Yeah, and, and of course, the setup at Loughborough University is, you know, one of the best in the world, isn't it, yeah. in terms of, you know, facilities and, and, and expertise there. Tell, what were you studying there? Um, I did a master's in musculoskeletal sports science and health. Wow. 
<laughs> it sounds a lot more complicated than it is. It's just muscles and bones, basically. Yeah, so so you were there at Lightning, I think, for, for a couple of seasons? Three seasons, yeah. Yeah, so uh, what... How much opportunity did you get to sort of play first team? Because they, you know, they had an amazing squad there. So, were you uh, first pick, or were you kind of in and out of the squad or on the fringes of that? Um, the first season, I think I played every game, and then I tore my hamstring in the second season. So I did that in the last. I think it was the last warm up game before the start of the season. Um, and I was injured until the last game of the season, so I played one game. Yeah, we're going to mention about injuries because, of course, that, you know, I don't know if it was that injury, but it led to you missing the 100 because you're meant to play for Welsh Fire. So talk to us about kind of how tough it is when you have these long-term injuries, you miss out on things like the 100 and, and opportunities that have come your way. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was that one, actually. Um, yeah, it was tough. I actually... So I actually found out that I got signed for the 100 in the morning of when I did it. So I found out 10 minutes before I did it. Um, and at the time when I did it, we didn't think it was as bad as it was. So the first thing that went from my mind was obviously like, am I going to be able to play? But I was like, it'll be fine. You know, you've got eight weeks. This will take six. You'll be, you'll be fine. And then sort of the week later, got the scan results back and it was going to take four months instead of that. But... Yeah, I think it's tough. It's yeah, di like different people's different experiences of it. I think for me as well, like going through it when everyone went to the hundred, that was obviously quite tough because you're sort of left on your own. Like it can be quite isolating sometimes. Um, but it's just yeah, like having a support network around you. I suppose whatever that looks like at different times definitely helps. Yeah, so so then a, a lightning came to an end for for everyone, <laughs> and they they transformed into the blaze, and and then you moved on at the, at the end of last season. Is that right? Yeah, but yeah, moved back to Central Sparks, which is sort of where I grew up. Yeah, yeah, sort of returning home, really. So tell me how that felt moving from one um, region to another. Um, it was a bit. Like, it was a bit weird to start with. I think, obviously, like, everyone, um, you know, every region setup is a bit different. Um, but I think because I knew a lot of them from before and from home, um, it made that a bit easier that sort of it wasn't, everything wasn't completely new. I sort of knew some people, you know, knew how certain things worked, um, sort of made that transition a little bit easier. There's this, the relationships within a side are, are clearly really, 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 really important. But as a new person coming in, if you're someone that was there, I'm I'm thinking two things at the same time. I'm thinking, brilliant, she's going to make us stronger. Or, oh no, she's going to take my place in the side. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Or is it just because you're all professionals, you kind of, you get on with it, it's not a problem? I think it's probably in the back of everyone's mind, you know, I think... You're, yeah, you're probably thinking about it, but I suppose in cricket there's a lot of different roles. So there's very few people that you're sort of directly competing with. Um, and also I think like as a batter and a bowler, I could probably compete for a few different different roles. So I think, yeah, I think it is difficult. But I think as you, you know, you're always going to have that competition. So I think it's just understanding that 
you can only sort of control what you can control um, in terms of how you do and just sort of focusing on that. Yeah, I mean, talking of different roles, you, uh, you're you now an opening batter. Tell, uh, tell, me, tell me how that happened. Or have you always opened the batting? Maybe I've maybe I missed that because I always, I perceive you as a bowler. I've done it for, I've done it for a few years. I think through the age group stuff, I was a bowler. Um, and then sort of started doing a bit of both. And then I actually did the ligaments in my ankle. So I couldn't bowl for three months, but could bat. So I just batted for ages. Um, that was just before I moved to Lightning. And then I think for most of that season, I opened the batting for Lightning um, and then sort of moved into the middle order for my last season there. Um, but I have, I've done it over sort of probably the last five years, mixed around between opening and batting in the middle order. Yeah, and um, I noticed you got a really good score uh, the other day. In fact, it was a game that, that Polly was at and I attended the final five minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> play. So I, I missed your your half century. Uh, but that's that was you know, it must be so satisfying uh, to you know to score fifties, to you know, to get decent scores in to kind of really um I suppose show the people making the selections that they've made the right choice. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one thing we talk about quite a lot as batters is like once you've got yourself in sort of going on. Which I think, like for the last few games before that, I'd str like struggled to do. Got myself into the twenties and thirties, and then sort of got myself out. So I think I had quite a clear focus that, you know, once you're in, you stay in. I guess women's cricket has developed so much over the last three, four seasons, particularly with the increased professionalism. From kind of a perspective as a player, what do you think has changed the most, and what what are the changes you see from that first season where? The regional system existed to now i think there's so there's so much that's changed you know like fitness level strength levels like skill levels i think uh you'd be definitely seeing a lot more bowlers bowling quick you know before it'd be like one or two people you'd be like oh they're quick whereas now i think you know there's a lot of people that bowl at a, a good pace and i think as well just sort of if you look at the scores over the years, I'm sh I haven't looked at them, but I'm sure they've gone up. I think an average score now is probably like you know two fifty, three hundred and fifty over game, whereas the first year that was probably seen as an above par score. So I think definitely like scores are increasing, people are adapting to the pitches a lot better. Yeah, well, it's, it's a really exciting time, isn't it, to be to be part of the game. So we're at the um. We're at the, the end of the season now. So what are your plans for the, the months ahead? Are you just going to hibernation or? Uh, or no, we get, uh, so we get October off, which is nice. And then we're back in training, start of November. So we do probably have quite a big focus on fitness for the first two months until Christmas with a bit of skills. And then after Christmas, a lot more sort of skills and scenario based stuff before we then go back outside oh that's a nice thought isn't it yeah <laughs> I, I, it's it seems to me i mean i i have no insight into this you you have all the insight into this but the hard yards you put in in the winter seem to be what really really matter um in cricket we had a, a really interesting chat with lauren filer a few weeks ago who kind of went and worked in the winter and came back a, a, 
completely different cricketer and, and ended up playing for England this summer. Yeah, definitely. I think with the way that cricket is, you obviously train during the summer, but very rarely would you make any technical changes over the summer because you're obviously going to be playing and that can sometimes make you worse before it makes you better. So all the technical changes will be done over the winter, which is probably the most important part of it. And then in the summer, that training is more just sort of maintenance and then a few little tinkerings here and there. So tell me what are your dreams and ambitions for the future? Where, where's where's this all going in the next two, three, five years time? I, um, I think the obvious one is to be a professional for as long as possible, I think, you know, to make a career out of it. Um, for me, I think that's my main focus at the moment, sort of, you know, once, once I've got to that and perform, like to continue to perform as best I can, and if anything further comes from that, then you no know, sort of England selection, that's sort of not really on my radar at the moment, but obviously is, is a dream. But, um, yeah, probably just focusing on, you know, domestic stuff at the moment. Playing in the 100 is quite a big one for me, obviously. Having missed out a few years ago and then not had the chance again, I think that is quite a big one for me. Yeah, and and also there, there are just lots of other options, aren't there? So um, all the franchise tournaments that are appearing, so I think of someone like Marie Kelly, who's, you know, not an England international, but has been picked up to play in the Caribbean. Um for example, and you can imagine as time goes on, those opportunities are going to to broaden more and more, uh, aren't they, to to people playing a professional game um, in England. So it'll be really interesting to see how that develops in, in the years ahead. And, and you know, players who, yeah, it'd be great if you do play for England, but even if you don't, those opportunities might still be there. Yeah, exactly. I think sort of if you looked at the women's game three years ago, I don't think you would have been able to predict like where we'd be now. So I think, you know, add another three years onto that and who knows where we'll be, what what opportunities will be available. I think it's really exciting. Bethan, thank you so much for your time. We really, really do appreciate you coming on the pod. It's, it's been brilliant to talk to you. No worries. Thank you for having me. Well, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Talking to Bethan, and um, I felt I felt a bit stupid because I was saying to her, oh, "I I thought you, I think of you as a bowler," and she said, "No, really, I'm a batter." But that's interesting how she's moved up and down the order over the last few years, and now has sort of found her way back up to the top of the order. Yeah, and she's done really well actually, open the batting. Um, and I, I've been impressed with her as a signing for. Sparks because of course she with injury and stuff she didn't get that many opportunities at Lightning in the end um, and you know hasn't played in the 100 and stuff but um, coming to Sparks she's done really well and so far I think has stayed relatively injury free so that's positive. Yeah getting injured is tough it's really really tough. Um, brilliant so uh, Polly would, what do people need to do if they want to follow us and all that sort of stuff? So you can follow us on Instagram, which is Nautishard Podcast, and Twitter, which is OOChard Podcast. Next week, we will be back. I don't think we're going to have a guest, actually, because I think we're going to do like a big season review. Um, Obviously, review the Rachel Hare Flint final, but then the whole of the season, the 100, the Charlotte Edwards Cup, 
maybe even yeah. delve into county stuff when it was all rained off so can we, can we do the under 19s where are they now how are they doing we can do that as well we can do all of this that'd be amazing so yeah if you have any questions that you want us to answer about the season anything like that get in contact with us and we will put them on the podcast brilliant well polly i'll um I'll, I'll see i'll speak to you next week then yeah see you next week don't contact me in between please no no no, no. i'll let you go on with your life that's fine yeah, thank you